Deadly Night Part 3. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast Festivus Series, where we're covering your favorite Christmas films all December long. You can expect to hear episodes on The Santa Claus, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3, and more. So tune in for all of your favorites. These are a few of my favorite things. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? Uh, and we're back again with our Festivus series. Uh, we did part one last week with Santa Claus. Had you a lot of fun. The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus, that's right. Not just Santa Claus, because then that could be confused yeah. with like the 1980 whatever, 1990 movie of that's not very good but no we're talking about the actual the santa claus with tim allen the only one in my opinion Mm -hmm. and not santa claus versus the martians either classic although that one is fun especially when you watch it uh with the commentary from mystery science theater 3000 probably their most favorite uh uh, famous episode oh probably yeah uh, we hope to achieve that level of esteem at some point with our with our commentaries, of which we've done one. We will surpass one day them in Red Letter Media. Yeah. <laughs> I do like doing commentaries, though. It's just very difficult. You have to really be on your game, especially because we don't write anything in advance. So, like, when you have MST3K, so some of that, obviously, was not scripted. It was just kind of improv. But some of it is also scripted. And when you do a full-length movie, especially one that you haven't seen in a while... It makes it really difficult to do an actual commentary and fill the entire time. Especially when it's something like Robocop that's all a bad, around. A, a bad movie and there's a lot to say about it, but at the same time, when you're actually watching it, it's like, there's going to be some dead spots. It's like, this movie has a lot of dead spots in it. It's like, and who really wants to talk about in those dead spots? Because normally in a commentary when there's like dead spots, it's like that you bring up like fun facts fun or, facts about the film, or like, like, you that. know, background yeah. on the production. But nobody gives a shit about RoboCop 2014. Nah, so that was, you know. that was a tough one to do. So it's like, what? Here's some background information. Oh wait, no. What's that? Nobody cares. All right. We're coming up on our hundredth episode, so we might. Are we going to tackle another commentary? Is that what we're doing? Or um, I don't think we should do a commentary. I think we should just do a do it do a like a review like we normally do. Yeah. Talk in depth about it because I think that movie deserves a. All right. You know, but I do want to do another commentary at some point. It is fun, uh, more more so on something that we know very well. So that might be something we could do for, say, Christmas with the Cranks, because you know that one pretty well. Yeah, could do a commentary on that. That that might be a little fun Christmas treat. Yeah, drinking game part. You know, tell everyone you gotta take a drink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. It's a good. Explain that might be the, something ex- that we hold ex- out on. Explain the rules uh, to you know drinking with the Cranks. That or... would be fun and also very like. 
Warning! Warning! Yeah. that we need to come with that episode. Absolutely. Not going to be held responsible for somebody dying of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we have um, a Christmas tradition. Since we started the show, we have done a Silent Night, Deadly Night episode every year, and this time we're on Silent Night, Deadly Night three, which is subtitled "Better Watch Out." And which I lo- which by the way, love that. Love that. It's, it's you know, it's nice, nice little nod to Christmas. Like I said, I know I know the ones after this have subtitles. Yeah. I, um, but they're shitty and not Christmas related. Like if I was like making Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Four, I would like have it be Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Four. Deck the halls in blood. Yeah. You know something like that. It just really is going off of the Christmas tradition a little bit. Wreathed in blood. Something like that. Um, we well, wish you a kill, killing Christmas. You the, know. the original title for the first Silent Night, Deadly Night was Sleigh Ride, S-L-A-Y, Sleigh Ride. So, I, like, I like Silent Night, Deadly Night. I do too, and I think that's kind of why they change it up a little bit. Um, but I mean, I think that Sleigh Ride also hints at what you're talking about, which is taking the idea of like a Christmas-themed wordplay and, yeah. and you know and like making something out of it which Silent Night Deadly Night does as well um but I, I do like some of that wordplay that they do and Better Watch Out isn't really wordplay but it more so just references the Christmas spirit which of Santa to, Claus is coming to town which to be honest with you this film has not almost almost no Christmas besides besides spirit. people being like you were dreaming of Santa because <laughs> it's Christmas Eve oh could didn't know this one does doesn't not, look at it at all. It's still the it's you know it's only the late eighties. Christmas hasn't been you know put to war yet. No, this one does not give you the the holiday feels at all. Uh, first of all, it's set in California, so unlike the Silent Night Deadly Nights of past, there's no snow in this whatsoever. Uh, the only thing that, like you said, what you really get is people dropping hints that it's Christmas. Like, uh, my favorite part, what you mentioned, is, like, when she says she had a dream and she dreamed of Santa Claus, and he's like, why'd you dream of Santa Claus? And she says, well, probably because it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, Juan, you're doing an, inju- you're doing an injustice here. She did not say that with that much enthusiasm. No, in okay, fact, that's true. In fact, because I missed it the first time that she said it, I only know that she said it because they flashed back to that. So I was like, oh, she said that? I didn't hear that the first time because she was, you know, I was mistook our lead actress as a two by four to beach wood <laughs> yeah she is very wooden in this but that i mean if you're looking for a christmas movie silent night deadly night three is is not that movie for you she's got the personality of a quaker just just very like mm, nothing nothing there nothing going on in there whatsoever um so i it's it's really difficult too to talk about silent night deadly night three without getting into some of the nuances of the first two Silent Night Deadly Nights um, because it doesn't compare whatsoever. This film wants to work off of Silent Night Deadly Night 2 with Ricky because Ricky's the main focus of Silent Night Deadly Night 2 um, taking over for his brother after he saw his brother getting shot when he was killing people in the first film. However, uh, this Ricky's not the same, played by Bill Mosley, rather than um, the Ricky from the previous and Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, and 
almost nothing matches up because we don't even get flashbacks of like the original Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. We It just goes right back to the first one. Which the flashbacks they use from the first film don't even make context within the sense of the film. At least in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, the whole reason they're flashing back to the scenes from the first film, not just for the practical reason that they need to pad the film, but because it's, you know, a detective and Ricky and they're, you know, retelling his childhood story. So that's why they're doing it, even though in that sense it doesn't make sense either, because yeah. it's, it's, all those things happen to his brother, not him. You know, so. I just wanted to bring that up before we really get into the film, because we're probably going to mention it quite a bit, of how this doesn't match up with your other Silent Night, Deadly Nights, and a lot of things seem like they don't connect whatsoever, even though they the film wants them to connect. Uh, let's take a break before we get into the full uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out criticism and commentary and let's talk about the beer that we've got on the show today because it's a different one that uh we've never had before and this is a style that we generally wouldn't ever get at a store like if, if we I've actually never, no, never no i've never seen this beer in stores before so what i got was a growler of our local brewery and i say local in uh i guess 45 minutes. 45 right? minutes sense because it's not technically like anywhere near us, but it's about 45 minutes away. And I do have a couple growlers to uh, Brown's Brewery in Troy, New York. And we brought, we've talked about them before. The yeah, we've had a couple of their beers on here before. And so I got a, uh, my sister was going out to Troy. So she grabbed my growlers and she filled them up for me. And I saw on tap that they had um, what to me I assumed was called a Rausch beer. I just, you know, that the way that it looked spelled R-A-U-C-H, I, I thought it was a, a Rausch beer. Um, it's, well, you know it's German, though. Yeah, it's a traditional German beer. So you should have known better. That's not how you pronounce it. Yeah, normally German stuff is much more aggressive. So, and in this case, that is that is true as well. It's actually pronounced Rauch beer. I think I did it right. You you try it. Rauch beer. Rauch beer. It's very gruff. Um, I would just say... You know, like rock like a rock rock beer, rock beer, right? You know, technically, I know it doesn't you know pronounce Reich, but like you know, yeah, just so I, I or Roush, I would be fine with that just because it's like you know, don't yeah, it's it's just a don't give your you know, make your throat bleed by you know. <laughs> very gruff sound. That's all, just say it like that. Rock beer, um, it just means smoked beer, yeah, that's what it means in German, smoked beer. And I've had smoked beers before. Um, one of the ones that sticks out to me the most is Sam Adams when they had their, um... The Rock's Back Fire. Yeah. Hey, you know what? That's the one I was thinking of, actually. Because yeah. that's, we did do that on the podcast. Because mm-hmm. I remember you being like, I don't really, you know, like you said, you liked it, but like, you weren't really feeling it. I said, I like it a lot. You know, it tastes like a bonfire. This is great. Yep. And so that's the one that stands out to me. Um, so we've had him on here before. It had to be last fall then. It probably was, yeah. Because like that's like, to me, like, you know. hmm Yeah. That's the one that stands out. Um, but in this case, this Browns is technically are considered a Marzen style beer with the smoked flavor. Well, I think it's added because it's a smoked beer. You can basically just have like, and I'm, I've not, you know, like a, a knowledgeable source on this. Right. But my guess is because it's a smoked beer would be, you can take like any kind of style of beer and add like, you know, smokiness to it mm-hmm. by whatever means they smoke the beer. That makes sense to me. And that's that's why they say it's a rock beer, you know, of the Marzen style. So it's yeah. a Marzen style beer, so an Oktoberfest that they, you know, smoked. Yeah. 
Um, it's an interesting style. So obviously you really need to like that smoky flavor to really get the most out of a rock beer. Um, I, I think if you like whiskey, well, like if you like your bourbons. I mean, I love bourbon, but I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of the rock beer. I, I can drink it. And I, I don't think it's as bad as when we got the old ale, which we also got from Browns, who loves apparently loves to try out different, really different styles. And I like that because that's something that you just don't get that often. Um, so I wouldn't say that I don't like this in the sense that the old ale really did not make me crave another one because of its pruniness and its dried fruit and and uh, other flavors. But um, the Rauk beer is definitely an acquired taste. And you really have to like that smoky flavor or at least not even maybe not have to like it, but have to be in the mood for it. Uh, so I wouldn't say like this is a beer where you'd go and say like drink a few at the bar or something like that. This is really one that you sip and savor. Um, and it's it's really it it's for a specific mood that you're in. Would you agree? Like you wouldn't like come out. You wouldn't like get done mowing the lawn and be like, you know what I could go for? <laughs> A nice smoky rock beer. Chase it with eggnog. Yeah. Um, no, I I totally agree. I like it quite a bit. Um, the more I'm drinking it, I do like it. You know, starting to kind of grow on me more. I, I think I almost changed my rate, uh, the rating I gave it out untapped, and kind of bump it up a little bit. Uh, but I do like it. I do like that it's smoky. Because one of the favorite things in the world to me is the smell. The you know the smell on your clothes after a camp. You know, nice campfire. Love it. It's you nice. Know, I don't like shower for like the next couple of days. I'm like, ah, it's just, you know, that, that, you know lovely smell on yeah. me. But, yeah. Which is what the taste reminds me of. It's like if you like inhaled straight from a campfire. Mm-hmm. And I like it. I think it's really good. I love the smoky taste to it. I love the scent. Mm-hmm. You also do get the taste of the Marzen style itself, which we're both major fans of Oktoberfest. Yeah. Here, yeah. Which is so I think it's a, you know, great little twist on the beer. That being said, I do agree. It's not something I would ever run out to get, though. Mm-mm. I like it's uh, even though I wouldn't say it's a dessert beer. I would say it's a dessert beer in the sense like I'd have it a little bit like after like a meal or something. And be like I'm good. Yeah. Or like if I was sitting by a campfire and like just had like one of these, but like, I'm good. I and I appreciate it for what it is. I do like it, but it's not something I'd be like on like a weekly list of like I gotta have that rock beer. Well. I, I think after drinking it a little bit more, I definitely can taste that Marzen style within here. So in that sense, it's interesting because you are kind of getting two different beer styles at one time. You can taste Brown's Marzen style, their Oktoberfest. And then also you can taste the smokiness and that kind of creates um, a different style of beer. And, and, and it makes it like you could smoke any beer. And you could have a, I, w- I don't think I'd probably recommend it, but you could have a smoky IPA. Uh, we'll probably see that in that like, yeah. beer fest. <laughs> It'd be the next thing that comes out. Like a, a, like a smoky smoke, ghost. Like, like a smoked, which we've had before, like a smoked porter or stout, you know, that's, yeah. that really goes well together. I think it's interesting to have this, you know, the multi-sweetness of a Marzen. And again, if you're not really a... If you're not into beer, I don't mean like sweet, like, ooh, you know, like you're sucking on like chocolate or like a sweet tart, but like just like a bready sweetness. Um, you know, that clashing with the smokiness. It's an interesting combination. I think it works, but it's, you know, it's interesting. I think 
the, your mileage is definitely going to vary on how much you like smoked products. Yeah. Are you somebody who's a big fan of smoked and cured meats? Yep, smoked meats, smoked fish. You know, and grill. If you like that kind of stuff, you're going to probably like this beer. Yeah, and yeah. But again, it's... I would say in a very limited amount. You got to be in a mood. You got really got to be in a mood. Um, but I think it's interesting, and it's almost like what I had um, when we went to World of Beer this past weekend. Which I'm glad you brought up. So which I, I didn't we're gonna talk about we'll talk about a little bit. Um, well, I went to a World of Beer this past weekend. It was like on Friday, and one thing that I tried because I'll leave the other thing for you to bring up. Um, I tried an infused beer, which World of Beer uh, does as a specialty. So they take a beer that they have on tap and then they infuse it in their special infuser with some sort of different ingredient to kind of change up the flavor of that beer profile. Um, kind of in the same sense of like what a Rauch beer does is put the smoke in it. So it changes that beer profile a little bit more. So what I had was an apple cinnamon infused ESB. So that caught my eye because I do like ESBs and I just wanted to give it a shot and see what the apple cinnamon flavor was. And I thought it was pretty good. It's almost like having... Uh, like a tea added to your beer, you know what I mean? Like, um, or like, you know, some sort of like, uh, spicy apple cider concoction added to your beer. Uh, so it was pretty good. And, um, I had a five ounce cause I wasn't sure if I was really going to like it, but I did find it to be uh nice. And it, it, the pairing was kind of interesting because your ESB is kind of hoppy. And actually my wife, uh, I think probably summarized it pretty well is that she said it tasted like one of those like pine soaps. Like if you were to literally put a pine soap in your mouth and lick it or something like that, uh, that's the taste that you would get Christmas potpourri soap. And I mean, I, I don't disagree with that, but I, I enjoyed the taste and apparently she did not. So, but I'll let you bring up the other thing that we both had while we were at world of beer in two separate occasions. Yeah. Cause we didn't go together. But, um, one thing I do want to mention is world of beer national chain. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are national. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I didn't know if it was like a regional thing or not. So, okay. But we both tried while we went there on our own separate occasions. And the whole reason I went there is because you brought it up uh, was that we tried Founders Breakfast Stout. But it's not their normal breakfast stout, which we both had before. And Founders Breakfast Stout is one of my favorite beers of all time. It's like the most, probably the most, the perfect stout that I've ever had in my life. Um, They had on tap what they call their Canadian breakfast stout. Which is their breakfast stout, but they give it like a mapley fa- flavor to it to add to it. So you get the traditional breakfast stout taste of like coffee and dark chocolate notes, and tends to be a lot higher on the alcohol side, like an eight to ten percent, you know, alcohol imperial stout, very rich, malty dessert beer, and. With this, they add, like, a maple flavor to it, and I think what they did was they aged it in, like, a different style barrel. Yeah, maple maple bourbon barrel. To add that flavor to it. And I love it. I love, as I said before, I love their breakfast stout. It's one of my favorite beers of all time. And I, the Canadian one, love just as much. I, I don't think, and Ryan's going to disagree when he talks about it, but I don't think the maple's that overwhelming. I don't think it's that distracting to the normal profile of the beer. I think it adds just the right amount of sweetness to it to mix it up and to make it a little bit different. Um, so uh, to me, the maple's there. 
and it adds a different character and a different, you know, take on the beer, but I don't think it's anything major. It, like, to me, it's not so, like, overwhelmingly dominant or unnoticeable that it doesn't make for, like, the change to be necessary. I think it's, like, a good little, you know, mix-up. Yeah, I, um, I like the beer as well, and I really, really like the breakfast out, and I'll start off by saying that I think I still like their regular breakfast out more than the Canadian breakfast out. Um, with this Canadian breakfast out, you get the you really get an enhanced coffee profile in it, like mm-hmm. a lot of flavorful coffee within that stout. Or I'd say like the the original, and it's a good thing you kind of brought it up because I didn't really think about it. But the original is more of like a nice balance between the oatmeal, the coffee, and like the dark chocolate. You're right. This one does have like a kind of a higher, you know, much yeah. more emphasis like on a, the coffee. A, lo- a lot of coffee in there, which I do like. Um, the the maple itself, though, for me, it seemed to be a little overpowering, and I found it a little too sweet on the back end after I was, you know, done like, when I swallowed. You gotta, you gotta use your word. I know the word of the cloying. Yeah, uh, found it a little cloying on the back end after I was, you know, swallowing after I was finished with it in my mouth. Um, so, I mean, I well, I would say it was really good and probably one of the better beers I've had in a quite a long time. Um, I, I just didn't find it as perfect as some of the other people. Now, the thing with this is I was at world of beer and I'd been there for about an hour. I'd already had, uh, one beer and the ESB that I talked about and I was going for my last beer and I was going to get the two X tangers from Southern tier. And then the lady, the waitress was like, Oh, you know, we, uh, we have founders here. We have a special beer here there. They just, um, tap the the keg they just you know and, they, and actually i think it was in a cask so they just they just uh tap the cask and um it was the canadian breakfast out and she's like you know they don't really make it that often this is like the first time in a long time that they I've made never, it i've never yeah heard of it but graham we our selection of founders around here is pretty limited yeah and i was like okay you convinced me <laughs> i'll take that and it was fucking ten dollars but it was totally worth it was it ten dollars yeah it's ten dollars a glass yeah it wasn't for me how much was yours? Six bucks. Really? I didn't go during happy hour. Maybe mine was just because it was like the the night that they were there. Like it was opening night for that. So maybe they were charging extra that night. I don't know. I don't know. But but whatever the case, it was worth it. They must it just really not good. like you because they said, you know. They yeah, charged- they fucking got me for that. They got me for changing beers or something like that because they charged me for a, a, what it was called like a mix charge. Mix. Um, mix up. Is what you said? No, it was like a mix charge up or something like that i don't know what it was but it seemed like it was every time i changed beers they charged me a dollar or something like that that's ridiculous. i don't know i mean genius if especially if you're like a craft place where i you know people get it. Are, where people are kind of going to be you know i kind of get it because they got to change glasses every time oh well no i would i would be, be like that you can pour that in there i don't care if i just had an ip and you're putting an imperial stout in there just fucking pour it in the glass i don't care you yeah. know <laughs> yeah i mean i i know but i I get it because they're like, oh, I got to put this one in a tulip glass. Oh, I got to put this mm. one. In. You know what I mean? They're very See, particular. No, I know that. they are. And they, and they tell you with each beer that they have on the menu, what kind of glass. Like if you just got like a Jack's Abbey, you know, lager comes in American pint glass. If you got the Canadian breakfast stout, which we did, comes in a tulip glass, not a whole 16 ounces, only 12 ounce glass. And, and it's, I, you know, I got to say, me, I mean, I'm, to me, like, I'm not like particular, but I no. don't fucking care. Just give it to me. And it, like, I, I know that they're designed to technically be served like that because of the way that it warms and stuff like that. I don't, I, I really no, don't. No, I, no, yeah. I don't care either. I don't care. You put it in a fucking pike. I know like a lot of, you know, 
people who are into craft beers think, you know, Amer- the American pint style glass is like a, you know, total bastard thing. Because it's, you know, like, oh, it's just terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It doesn't like, fit for any beer. But yeah. it's like, I don't care. Just put it in that. That's what I want. I don't need, if I'm getting like a Pilsner Urkel, I don't need a Czech style Pilsner glass for it. Yeah. Just give me a fucking pint. No, of I agree. I, I, I'm not as particular about that as other people. I'm not going to be sitting there. Look, as much as I like the beer, I'm not going to be sitting like wafting and swirling it around in my mouth and, you know, like, ooh, you know, let me try to find, you know, the most, you know, subtle flavor in here so I can mark it down, and, you know. <laughs> on, the, on the flavor profile. Yeah. No, I agree. All right, let's get into Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. And I'll I'll preface this by saying, I don't know how much we actually have to say about this film. Uh, so let's first run down the plot. Um, after the events of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, where Ricky got the shit blown out of him in RoboCop style. Uh, I really don't remember him getting his head, you know. Apparently, blast, bla- you know, blasted through, his head blasted uh by gunshots, just shot all through. That's what happened, I guess, in Silent Night 2. However, conveniently, the film does not show us this happening. Like, it shows us everything from Silent Night Part 1. Um, after those events, apparently Ricky's in a coma. He's been left in a coma. Diagnosis, official diagnosis from the doctor, written on his uh, clipboard, is coma. Which is funny, because apparently his doctor's been working with him, like, you know, since he got there. He didn't know he was, like, brutally, you know, (laughs) shot and shit. I think he did. And he just didn't bother to... Give a shit? Care. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I just love that, too, because, like, when you think about, like, a literal medical condition, you don't think, like, like, coma is not a medical condition. Coma is a state you're in because of a medical condition. So, like, you might say, like... Um, coma because of cardiac arrest. Yeah, coma. Be- yeah, because of cardiac arrest or, or stroke, or, stroke or... or something like that. But coma is not like a diagnosis. It's not like it's like what does he have, doctor? He's got coma. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny because uh, I just like how they treat it like a disease. It's just like, well, he's got coma. He's got the coma. He's got the coma. <laughs> and and really, at that point, like no one seems to. Ca- care that he's in a coma and they're not trying to get him out of it i i like that too it's just like oh <laughs> he's in a coma forever and we're gonna experiment he's, on he's him. he's gonna be in the, the coma for 40 years just no one's like yeah oh. oh he's still alive like you know yeah i noticed no one bothers you know to kind of check on he's just, yeah you know he's still hooked up yeah i love that but anyway so ricky's like hooked up to machines he's in a hospital um there's a doctor that's been experimenting on him for apparently a, quite a while as he's trying to figure out this new system where they can bring him back to life with an artificial brain implant. And hopefully it's not, uh, I don't think it's an art. No, it's not an artificial brain implant. It's, um, they reconstruct, I guess they reconstructed it, but yeah, but it's not artificial and they've stimulated his brain. So to bring back his motor function, so yeah. like breathing and heartbeat, and then they he think they might have stimulated his memories. It's like Lovecraftian in a sense, like reanimator style. I mean, you're using that word, you know, very liberally. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not saying this is uh, on par with Lovecraft. I'm saying it's the, it's uh, inspired by the Lovecraft. The voodoo science in this is very voodoo, you know. Just yeah. Like, why? Because the movie told you. Yeah. You don't see, or you know. Well, really, it's, what it's this just film is, on you. is at 1989, it's saying... What's popular at this time? Well, Psychic we had Horror. Carrie, we had Firestarter, 
Uh, Stephen King seems to like uh, psychic characters. What if we put a psychic character well, in here? By that time, Halloween 4. Yeah. Ha- yep, you're right. Halloween Curse, 4. Curse of Michael Myers. Curse of Michael Myers. Um, didn't by that time... Uh, Friday the 13th, yep. like part 7, yep. I think it was. Didn't by that time, Nightmare 2 have psychic? Yeah. With like Dream Warrior? Oh yeah, really yeah, that would have been way, be- yeah, way before this one. So, so yeah, so like, yeah, yeah like I said, I'm like, I'm like, man, was this like a, you know, like, I like, cause I wasn't really clicking until then. Like, this must have been like a very popular stereotype in the late '80s, early '90s for your horror films, psychic shit. Why? Because that's why. And not only that, they, there's in the previous two films, there's been nothing to hint towards psychic powers. And this, they're like, there's a character in here. She's got psychic powers. And like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. questioned or anything. Yeah, just the, please. The, just one. The one cop's like, I don't, you know, I don't, not much on, up on that mumbo jumbo. It's like, so all of a sudden, this world, they're psychics, you know. Yeah, I mean, because if you're thinking about Silent Night, Deadly Night, the series, and you come into Silent Night, Deadly Night three, you're like, wasn't this series about like a killer Santa Claus? And now in in Silent Night, Deadly Night three, it's like. This series is about some guy in a coma who has a psychic link to a another woman. A blo- you know, some blind teenager. Yeah. It, uh, like, as we mentioned in the beginning, it has nothing to do with any of the other Silent Night films. And so... Except that it's Ricky. I mean, it makes sense, for one thing, that... after I mean, I can't see many people after Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 being like, Wow. I can't wait for a sequel. Because basically that movie is just a recap movie. It's like taking an anime episode that comes in the middle of the show, uh-huh. like episode 13, where it's like, what happened in the past 12 episodes? That was Silent Night, uh-huh. Deadly Night 2. Because it's just like, did you see the first film? If you didn't see the first film, let's catch you up. And there's like a couple new things that's going to happen here. Um, but then Silent Night 3, com- Deadly Night 3 comes along and it completely shakes up all of that. And really the only thing that it carries over is Ricky. And then it has a couple laughs about there being a Santa Claus in this film. Because this film is technically set on Christmas Eve. You would never get if, if you if you weren't paying attention to any of the audio in this film, you would never know it's a fucking Christmas movie. I mean, there's like a couple of lights here and there. What, a, dr- a, a drunk Santa. Drunk, yep, drunk Santa. A, a tree and some presents. An old gr- Granny from uh, yeah, you know Beverly Hillbillies. You know it's Christmas Eve because Granny's basting a turkey. So it's got to be Christmas Eve, because why, why else would she be making a nice turkey dinner? Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be Thanksgiving, I guess. But yeah, no, th- those are the only clues that you get. And and then, obviously, the people literally expositing that it's Christmas Eve. Going home for Christmas? Going to see Granny? Come back after the holiday? Why, so why'd you see Santa in your dream? Well, because it's Christmas Eve. Man, oh man! All that needs is a laugh track. Like, it really does. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's really <laughs> so anyway, we got Ricky in a coma. We got a doctor. We got a woman, a blind woman named Laura, who apparently has been crafting a psychic link with Ricky. And so, n- what she's seeing when she crafts this psychic link is not Ricky like murdering people in Silent Night, Deadly Night Two and yelling out "Garbage Day." <laughs> no, it's not that, Ricky. What she sees is a flashback to uh, the first Silent Night, Deadly Night, when Ricky's Ricky's parents are murdered by a killer Santa, which he didn't experience because he was a baby. And you see, yeah, (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it was great because you brought it up. It's like it's not even like from his brother's perspective, who's old enough to remember that traumatized him in the first film to go on the murdering spree. But it's from like the kid, like some guy was like filming this, like you know, like oh, like oh shit, like oh, shit, you know. Yeah, it's it, it, because everything that we see, for for one thing, it, the film never really explains like how um, Laura is actually seeing this because she's she's blind. So like what what is she actually seeing? Are is she seeing the events like in her mind? Is she is she hearing the events and we're seeing them as the camera? None of it makes sense. It it makes not a lick of sense what she's actually experiencing when she has these flashbacks. But the weird thing that really stood out to me is that none of those flashbacks actually occur and they they don't really affect Ricky and like he wasn't there for many for almost all of them. You would expect him in his traumatic experiences to be thinking about like the time when he murdered people (laughs) and she might see those and think like, wow, look at Ricky. He's a giant murderer and stuff like that. But no, it it goes back to Silent Night, Deadly Night one. And that tells me one thing that the makers of this film had no rights to Silent Night, Deadly Night two for whatever reason, because they they probably had three different production distribution companies. Yeah. And they didn't use any scenes from Silent Night, Deadly Night two. So I'm just guessing that it, they they had no rights to you it. You know what? I'm glad they didn't use warm side in the door in this. No, nope. no. I'm I'm serious. I'm glad. As much as I love it, and that like is, I become more and more nostalgic about the first one. Like it's becoming in my mind. I've I'm been over the past two years building that film up in my mind to be like, wow, it's like so much better than I remember just because of that one scene. But I'm glad that's not in there in this film because then it would like probably like if it was in this film and the last one probably tarnish the legacy, It'd ruin it. It makes watching the first one even you know better. Yeah, but at least with the second one, the, the second film's you know so bad and cheaply done that it's in enjoyable format. Yeah, because and th- where this one is is just a fuck objectively bad film. Yeah, you can't have the you can have the opinion of I like Silent Night Deadly Night Part Three. You cannot state as fact Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3 is a good movie. No. Because you're wrong. You're objectively wrong. Well, let's talk about why it's not a good movie. So we're going through the plot itself. We set up that part about psychic Ricky and psychic like, Laura. Which, which, by the way, writers, what at the time, why are you making your job so much fucking harder? With adding, like, psychic links and all this other nonsense. It's literally the first film is just about a fucking kid who goes crazy and, you know, because of a tra- traumatic experience on Christmas and thus commits crimes on Christmas. Yeah. Simple. Why do you have to, like, add all this unnecessary bullshit? You're literally, like, straining your own mind in the writing process. You're literally yeah. just, like... Well, thinking of like, well, we got to like, you know, like, like all horror films eventually do when it comes to sequels. Like, well, we just got to make it more and more fucking ridiculous where it's like, just make it base. Just make it simple. Well, the thing with this film, too, is that um, you don't need that entirely complex idea about psychic links. If we're talking about like, and this is a stretch, but still in Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2, really what those themes boil down to is um, traumatic experiences that stick with you and that they're they're almost kind of viral. So when one person experiences it, it becomes a virus that continues to spread and, and they cause more and more havoc and then other people are caught up in it and that, that trauma yeah. continues. So really all they needed to do was take one of those people from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 
and make them go crazy as a killer Santa because they like, fucking experienced Saturday Night Deadly Night like too. You could ha- literally just have like somebody who survived Ricky's, yeah. you, you know, exactly. And then they're like, they can't cope with it. They see Santa Claus and they go nuts. Um, that's all they needed. They really didn't need to go this in depth with like psychic connections and it's, Ricky with his fucking brain cut open. Especially and, seeing as it's so damn shallow, it's like, like, why bother adding all these like innovative you know like the, the and i'm using and I'm, and I'm air quoting innovative <laughs> you know like like with you with lovecraftian you know just like if you, why bother just you know what you are especially seeing this is a direct to video you know what you are just yeah. keep fucking you know keep fucking going with until then the money well runs dry when you're like all right we're not making money off this anymore and you move on and at the very least the minimum Make it Christmassy. Because seriously, how really, even though this probably had a very low budget, I'm guessing it had a really low budget. Um, why couldn't they just splurge a little on Christmas decorations? Just a little bit. I don't understand it. Make it Christmassy. I realize that maybe in California they didn't really have the money to just go and rent a snow machine and make a bunch of snow for it. Or even put down like the fake stuff that they use in most movies. But then don't film it in California. Film it someplace snowy. I'm And by the way, I'm assuming it's California. No, it, it definitely is. There was a license plate that said California. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Oh, but, but they had they had to hide the wild turkey, you know. Yeah. Label on the, you know, which, by the way, when they were like, that's not something I would ever really sit down and like, like pour like, you know, some like four fingers of like wild turkey for me and like my sister and be like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I don't know. Well. Let's let's continue on with the plot a little bit here. So Especially cuz I think it was 101. Probably it did look like it, yeah. So, once You're Ricky and Laura we establish that connection, Laura decides she doesn't want to continue with this experiment anymore. She's going home for the holidays. She's meeting with her, her uh brother Chris and his girlfriend Jerry, and they're all heading home to Granny's house cuz Granny's making a great big uh Christmas dinner. However, Ricky is taunted by that Santa Claus that has been going around the hospital, and he comes to life, jumps out of his coma. What is it with this film that this film series that every Santa Claus is a fucking some sort of psychopathic asshole, drunk? You know? Yeah, I have no idea. Apparently, someone had a bad experience with Santa Claus in their childhood, and now they're taking it out on just everyone's like, ah, (laughs) you know? Yeah, you want drinks? Wait, no, you don't. You're, You're a vegetable. vegetable. <laughs> yeah. You know, what a rip-roaring time. It's, you know? it's bad. One thing, though, that really bothers me about this film is that nothing ever happens. So the entire storyline after we meet Ricky and Laura is centered around Laura, Chris, and Jerry as they make their way home in a car. And as Ricky makes his way to that same house because he knows where they're going and he wants to confront Laura in a similar fashion to like Halloween. Because mm-hmm. really that whole – that idea is, is stripped from Halloween where our killer is making his way to the house on a holiday to kill his one obsession right from Halloween. But the thing that is really annoying about this film is that nothing ever happens. So even in those scenes where Ricky is now out of his coma and he's attacking people, we don't see it. We, we, see, we don't see any of those scenes. We see the aftermath sometimes. But the action, the act that he's taking, we don't see. 
And so we're left with scenes where, like, all of a sudden it cuts to a nurse and she's dead. Or it cuts to a guy and he's laying on the side of the road and he's dead. In his, in, in, uh, Ricky's hospital scrubs, which miraculously he fits the same body know, type as the guy a, he hijacks trope, the car. That's a trope in movies I love where, like, you know, somebody kills, like, kills somebody or, you know, takes their clothes from them. And it's like, oh, they just, you know, the, the whole Terminator, like, you know. What I'd like, I need, like, I need your clothes. Wouldn't it be great? It's like, I need your clothes. It puts the clothes on. It's like, oh, like, you know. They're regular jeans, but on him, they're high waters. Yeah, or, or like, they're just, like, humongous <laughs> on yeah. somebody. It's like, wow, I, I didn't fit into these, and now I'm wading through these pants. It's funny, too, now, especially now I think back to Terminator. The guy that Arnie gets his clothes from, you know, doesn't look any Not as big as Arnie. No, not at all. <laughs> I know, I love that. But this film, it really, like it really lacks a sense of direction. There's just nothing happening in it whatsoever. And so Monty Hellman, the director has no, uh, like any understanding of what would be good direction. The entire film drags. It's a 90 minute film. It's slow as hell. I think also they, cause they, I think they made this film in a month. Yeah. Really? Probably really quick turnaround. So I, 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 I don't know as much, so and that's if it's that's the case, like, you can't really blame him as much because it's probably like we got one shot at this. Let's you know, well let's let let's go. I would just say that. Every- I mean, Grant, you're right. It's not good at all. It's not acceptable. But at the same time, you know, it's I, like I think even uh, noting that though, what this film really needs, if they didn't do reshoots or anything, is just cuts. It needs like scenes trimmed down. Every scene needs to be trimmed down like two minutes. Because even if we're talking about the opening scene of this film, Laura crosses the room. And it takes, like, three minutes for her to cross a room and look at Ricky. I don't know why, but that whole that opening sequence and the way that, like, the room looked and whatnot, the, and the, you know, stereotypical all-white, like, hospital room and stuff, for some reason it just reminded me of, like, Manhunter. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Just, like, with, you know, the, like, scenes of Brian Cox in the hospital, as, you know. Manhunter, as... this is not. Well, obviously, <laughs> I'm just saying. Because like, yeah, I, I, I just remember, like, you know, the hospital. I think you're look... even maybe drawing conclusions. Could Bill, Bill Mosley kind of looks like, um, what's his name from, uh. The lead actor. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. remember his name, but, right now, um, but in, who plays Hannibal, he kind of looks like him in that. Oh, yeah, Brian Cox. Brian Cox, yeah, that's right. He kind of looks like him in, um... I thought you were talking about the detective. No, that's, uh, that's, uh, William Peterson, um, who played Grissom in CSI. But, no, um, he kind of, I, I get this scenario because he kind of does look like him, and that scene does look like the hospital room within... But again, room. but at the same time, that's, that's, like, just a trope of, like, films in the 80s that were hospital, you know, obviously, everything's fucking white, you know, like this, you know, ridiculous, you know... Yeah, well, I, I get it, but like, just for me, like, with my mind, like, kind of think of like that kind of design. I just think Manhunter. Don't know why. It just it's the first thing that pops to mind. But I, I think that the the film's biggest problem is just that nothing happens, right? I mean, even the film is just boring, straight up boring. tedious. It's not not fun at all. Nothing fun happens. It's really just watching really boring things happen over and over and over again. It's very tedious. Um, it's almost, it's almost like, this is definitely a film I would say you're going to be looking at your watch several times. Like, are we, like, you're like, come on, like. Yeah, are we, are we done? Right. Because, first of all, like, the film has no direction, so you're not even really sure where it's going to. 
like, it takes forever to get where it's going. It's yeah. like the first 45 minutes, just like, not like, just like the first 20 minutes of them dicking around the hospital, like about like Laura and Dr. Newberry and like her psychic powers. And they flippantly mention like she's blind, but then like, you don't realize she's blind until like fucking three quarters of the film because up until that point, she's not acting like she's blind. Yeah, that, know, that's until- another big thing is that that blindness is really, you can tell, is is just there because they wanted it to be there. Yeah, no, it's it's v- totally arbitrary. It's like, why is she blind? There's no reason for her to be blind. Maybe it's just she's just blind. So Granny, like, when um, Ricky shows up to Granny's house to kill, you know, to kill Laura and he's waiting just so, because he's, you know, Frankenstein's monster, essentially, in this film. So Granny, like, oh, my granddaughter's handicapped just like you, too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no other reason for it. And, um... The blindness itself, like, it doesn't really come into play because most of the time Laura doesn't really act like she's blind at all. Like, no. there's no, like, the way she she just maneuvers around things. There's one scene where she gets to Granny's house. She just walks over and sets her coat down on a couch. And there's no explanation for it. Well, she they, really shouldn't know that well, it's no. there. Well, no, they, I, yeah. they do because when she, when she notices the chair's not where it's supposed to be. I don't to, buy I, it. I mean, granted, it's like two inches to the right of where it's supposed to be. I don't buy it. And, you know, but, but she's like, uh, with her brother's like, she knows that, you know, we grew, practically grew up here. She knows where everything is supposed to be. I, no, I don't buy that still either. Still don't buy it. I still, no, you're right. I don't buy that either. You would even, still, if you're blind, you still put your hand out to be like, make sure that the couch is there. Because what if Granny rearranged? Or why does she have like a cane too? Well, she does, but she put it down. She set it down in like an umbrella stand beforehand. So. See, that's like yeah, like that's why? the only time like you, that's the only time that apparently you see it because throughout the rest of the film you don't see her carrying a cane around. Or... Yeah, it's it's like I like again I like I said I don't buy it because I would think if you're blind you still would reach out and touch something before you actually set your coat down. It just it just really threw me out of like she's not blind. She's this this actress isn't really fucking blind. I don't believe it. Uh, yeah, I imagine they probably shot this. They shot this film in sequential order, probably, and then probably like, had, like, oh shit, she hasn't been acting, but like, she's blind. They get the greatest. I was like, Laura, you gotta act like you're blind. Like, yeah, it does know? seem like when they when they get to the end, she does act more and more like she's blind. But I don't know. I'll knock the light out. So now we're even. <laughs> it really is arbitrary, though. It's, it's, it's super arbitrary. It's doesn't make a difference whatsoever. But um. Like, I would say that this, the film itself, like, it really has no sense of character. Uh, Laura is not really a character, and that's partially because of the actress, Samantha Scully. She really does not do a good job in an acting way. Uh, she is, like you said before, very wooden. Really just delivering her lines, just like saying it. Just a piece of beech wood. Just, you know. Just saying lines. Just, I don't like her, Chris. She's I d I don't like her. You gotta open up to people. <laughs> her brother's like I see him. Her brother's, you know, played by the guy who looks like he his other job is being in a mega death cover band. He's got some awesome hair. Yeah, totally. Like I said, he looks like fucking the lowest of rent Dave Mustangs in this film. You know. Just halfway through the film he breaks out into like a poor man's like peace cells. Yeah. You know. But not only that, Laura and um Jerry, Jerry, uh, Chris's uh, girlfriend, 
They look the same. They do really look similar. They, why would you have them have, like, the same haircut? Yeah. Especially because they like, literally look the same. Like, the same height. They had the same hair color. They literally look... I couldn't... I didn't know, like, who the fuck was who for half The only way film. you know is when Jerry takes her top off. For no reason. Yeah. yeah. Which I was telling you, because the first thing they do when they get to Granny's house, like, Chris like, I'll look for, you know, see if... Some great food. food. You go get the bath ready. I'm telling you right now. If I ever went to my significant other's house for, like, a family Christmas dinner, uh, she's like, you want to take a bath? Like, no, I don't want to fucking take a bath. Like, not, you yeah, know? Yeah, I no, mean, no, I especially not I because... I don't, don't want to take a sexy time bath with you. No, not here. No, no. Well, well, I mean, especially because they don't know where Granny is right now. Yeah. Like, Granny's missing, so they're just like, let's go take a bath. <laughs> like, what, like what, what happened on this, you know, the trip to Granny's house? We're like, oh, we got to take a bath. <laughs> We're dirty. Well, did, they, did they stop for, like, McDonald's along the way and, like, got mustard on? Like, oh, clothes are dirty. I'm going to have to wash I don't know. You, you underestimate when it's time to get freaky. You're just feeling it. I can tell you right now. Um, don't think. No, I, I wouldn't have, you know. You, with, like, visions of Granny being in the next room, you weren't, you wouldn't be, like, no. in the mood. God, no. I actually just watched the King of Queens Christmas. Episode I mean, great. Last if I night. I can tell you, if I ever was, it wouldn't be like let's set it up with the tub. It'd be like, like this has to be a quickie. That's, yeah, like you qu- know, quick and done. Like, like let's get this over with. Not, yeah, the you know. tub is like we're gonna be here a while. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, no. Who takes a bath and like they sit in the tub for like three minutes? Like, all right, like you know, good, like a shower. Like, well, right. just because I, w- I waited twelve minutes for the tub to fill up, but now yeah. I'm like, all right, just because too, like the tub is just like. The logistics of being in a tub and doing stuff is just not very good. I mean, not, I yeah, get, especially that tub is a yeah, tiny tub. Yeah, it's not. It's not. The logistics just don't work. And very Chris well. is a hulking man. in This film, he's kind of you know pretty. And also, just a PSA: it's, it's not really good to do things wet, like like water wet, because it just makes things like you know how when you get that squeakiness on your on your skin when you're wet and you like try to like mm. rub your skin. It's like that, but with a penis and a vagina. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. It's, this is probably not a good idea. Dr. Ryan here. Tell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Telling you to stay away from bath time. So if you're going to do it, do it in the shower. You'll end up with penile lesions. So <laughs> it's not a good idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> the one... <laughs> Some medical advice. The other thing what I'm... a great story that would be to tell your doctor. Like, yeah. So... <laughs> we were at Granny's and we couldn't wait, so we had to take a bath. So we had sex um, in the tub, and I, friction happened, and yeah. uh, now I got these cuts on my dick. Yeah? Uh, yeah, here's some ointment. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> One other thing that I really like about, well, not really like, but I think is funny in this film, is that it spends like five minutes on Ricky's doctor and a cop in the car. Talking about the cop's car cell phone. And how he sells something. And how he sells... Why? What what <laughs> difference does it make to the plot whatsoever that he has a cell phone in the car? Uh, that scene probably wasn't written in the script. Probably like, we need to pad this film out. You guys have a conversation. They just probably went from there. And like, yeah, like, it's so, it seems so random. And the only other time it's brought up is when the cop gets a call on his car cell. And when he answers it, it doesn't work very well. So it's just like a true, kind of a little true, joke. Yeah, true to the late 80s. Well, yeah. Also true to the late 80s, you know, like. Yeah, but I just, it's just like, really? Five minute scene of like them talking in the car about a car cell phone? But I will say, you can absolutely see the Halloween references here too, because 
The doctor is basically Loomis. Loomis, yes. And the cop is basically fucking, like the cop from Halloween. Yeah, well, it's like this, I don't believe what's going on here, but yeah. I'll, I'll, but I'll trust you right yeah, now. Yeah, and our Loomis in this film is fucking also in Taboo Five, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I like, he looks like an '80s porn actor, literally. Like after I'm done with this film, I'm gonna, you know, do something with a. Uh, Kate Parker afterwards in this lovely film. Getting paid a lot more to do that film, too, by the way. You know, I'm just, <laughs> doing, this dick. This, just doing this on the side. You know? Throw my dick. Yeah, I, it's, it just, I did like how there's that sense that they just ripped off Halloween with a Loomis You're right. And like, the more you like bring it up, and it's de- the parallels are definitely there. Yeah, because Ricky's literally like a combinant, like Frankenstein's monster, and Michael Myers just kind of smashed together because he's, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's just got an obsession now because he has that sort of link, psychic link. And that's like from Halloween, they do kind of come up with like a psychicness to it. Um, <laughs> later. Right, later. <laughs> and, but at, but at this, I, what you could call it is just like an unlikely obsession because that's what Michael has really. It's an, it's the, the obsession in Halloween doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It does. It's not really explained, um, besides well, the fact that he just wants a murderous family. No. But but it's a good film. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's forgiven. You don't need to know every detail in this film. This film's not a good film. So yeah. Like, so then you're going to be, you know, more apt to ask these type of questions. Yeah, but the, the, I mean, the connections are really here, and you can absolutely see a Halloween uh, scenario playing out. Um, and even sometimes, and I pr- this is probably a stretch and not really meant within this film, but I do see some Black Christmas connections too, like the ending that ends with them like with I all was the almost cops wheeling you're out. you're right because I was actually kind of hoping too that we'd find Granny and kind of I, I, the way it was kind of being like sh- like shown about like how they were leading up to like showing Granny. I was like I almost was thinking Black Christmas, like yeah. being like in the attic, tied up, and you know dead. Yeah, because there are some parallels. Even some of the sound effects, like some of the the uh, uh, cues and, and score effects uh, sound like Black Christmas. But I th- I don't know if that's really uh, was intentional or if it just kind of happened that way. I think it's happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one really ridiculous thing is that the film ends with Ricky pretty much getting killed. And then the conclusion is him just saying... In a happy new year, and who makes? An, he's in a fucking suit, nice tuxedo. Don't know why that occurs. Don't know what I that's expect- supposed to mean. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> that's, that's what I got out of it. As supposed to be, like, if you're blue, then, yeah. yeah, right. As I guess they just had to get Bill Mosley in one more time. It's kind. Con- that's what his contract, you yeah. know, dictated. He had to have a certain amount of a certain amount of minutes in the you know in the film. He's like a minute shy, and like, all right, well. Tack this on to satisfy his contract. Yeah, I don't know, like, the makers of this. I don't know why you'd ever want to have, like, Happy New Year in there as though, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 might be a new... In a Happy New Year. Like, a New Year's version of this because no one was going to watch it (laughs) after they saw this. How is this film not, like, the deathbed in this franchise? Who knows? I mean, I don't think it gets better from here, for sure. I've not... I... To be honest with you, I've never seen three, four, or five, so I don't know what comes next. Well, I guess after this, I can't see how. Like, you... well, like after this, how we... did it, how was this film profitable? I can't, I can't imagine it. Four, I know. Four and five, they have really nothing to do with the others in the series. I know, but I'm still saying, like, the first two films are cult films. Yeah, 
This is this one. At least I can't remember. Was the second one to theaters or was it? Direct? I'm not sure if the second one did make it to theaters. That one, that I don't know. It, it might the, have been direct to video because this is also this is direct to video, and the first two films are cult films. Very yeah. very niche. At least at least the, the second one's niche because it's such a, it's a bad film that's so bad it's good. The first film, though not in a good slasher by any means, has enough like. Things going on to it that have achieved its cult status with its controversy and the warm side of the door. Yeah. That, you know, and it was in theaters, you know, to warrant a sequel. But after the second one and after making this, like, how could they, like, ever... I I can't see the third one being profitable, especially seeing as it was made as a direct-to-video movie in a time where buying VHSs weren't exactly cheap, as we saw from the fucking trailer where they said, valued retail price, $90. Yeah. So the first two film, the first film has a niche following, the second film has even more niche following. How the fuck could this film have made money? I even don't... on like a $200,000 budget, how could it have made enough money to where you're like, we made like $10,000 on the film, let's make a fourth one. I have no idea. And to, to be honest with you, it's even surprising that, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 got a sequel. And it didn't for a couple of years until it really became, like, on a VHS where, where it hit the market. Because even I mean, in, I know in movie, theaters... I mean, Grant, movie rentals would drive that Yeah, back then. Because, again, VHSs are expensive back then. So, movie rentals... Yeah, in theaters, Silent Night, Deadly Night did horrible. It got pulled because... People were outraged that Santa that there was going to be a killer Santa. And we talked and we talked about that. Our, we uh, did, and I watched because I just recently watched the Silent Night Deadly Night um, release from Scream Factory, and it has a forty-five minute documentary about it. And they talked about how that film unintentionally got their trailer played during like Sunday daytime football, where like everybody was around the TV, like the whole family was watching football that day, and the fucking kids were watching. That trailer that's airing right be- before Christmas. It's like November. And then they are fucking terrified. And parents were pissed. And that's the reason why parents were pissed. Because they've already been through it with Halloween. They be- they were been through it with some other films around holidays. But this time, they aired the trailer at a specific time where other... Where, like, kids would l- actually see this, like... You know, it, it wasn't, like, very violent. It's not like it was, like, a Obviously. red band trailer or anything Obviously. like that. But it's still, it was... At that time, something that really got the ire of of parents, and that's why it did so poorly. So even to spawn a second sequel, that had to have that occurred because of the VHS wave that was hitting at that time, and that VHS was really making it big, and people saw, and they were like, "Whoa, Silent Night, Deadly Night!" That really got panned by the box office because parents were, uh, you know, rallying against it. So I've got to see it. So they rented it, and it did well. So they did Silent Night, Deadly Night two. And then, so I'm assuming that kind of came down the line to Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, but you're right. After Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, like what, what kept this franchise going from there? Because I can't see very many people renting this and then saying to their friend, like, you've got to see this. Because we talked about this. This is not a so bad, it's good film. It's, this is a bad, bad film. It's a, a objectively bad film and it's not fun. It's not a fun watch. It's not a fun watch. I can see maybe if somebody caught it at the right time, they were with friends they were at a party or something, and they just happened to laugh at the badness of it, then you might be nostalgic <laughs> and like it. However, Who would put this on as like a film in the background? Maybe on accident. I don't know. <laughs> but but for most people, even watching it, to watch it as like a Troll 2 style, it's so bad it's good, you're, 
it's not fun. There's nothing fun about it. It's not fun to make fun of because it's really there's nothing. It feels like you're hitting low hanging fruit, and then there's just nothing that happens. So it's really hard to even find the merits in like making fun of it or watching it to laugh at it. Just nothing there. And that's I that is really the kicker is that well, how did it spawn a Silent Night Deadly Night four? That's why they need a forty five minute documentary about Silent Night Deadly Night three. <laughs> And I don't believe it's gotten any sort of like Blu-ray release. Good. <laughs> I think it's pretty much been... some some films deserve to be kind of lost in time. Yeah, because <laughs> even like those films that aren't really that great that you know some of the boutique uh, places release like Screen Factory or Arrow Video or things like that. Those films are still kind of with merit. And like some, relevant. yeah, culturally relevant. Some people have found that yes, they are like an interesting film to watch, whereas. I would argue Silent Night Deadly Night 3 is not interesting to watch. There's nothing that really anybody's going to find of merit here. It's not self-aware either. It's not like Thanksgiving where it's self-aware that this is going to be a shitty movie. Yeah. So you don't get like at least the fun out of like, they know it's a shitty movie. They know this is going to be terrible. Nope. And that they're kind of reveling and enjoying like, look, we have no budget. We don't know what the fuck we're doing, essentially. We're just film students. This is the film we made, you know. And... So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, this film does have very little merit. And I probably won't be, like, re-released until, like, maybe if down the line somebody That's, decides... That's, like, the last thing they've got. <laughs> that, or they decide, like, let's do a box set of the films. The only thing I could see is, like, Scream Factory next year doing Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 just because they've done the first one and they got the rights to it. And then maybe moving on to Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. You know, I could see them doing that maybe just to finish out the series. But I really... There's you're, there's nothing else here that's... It's almost like the reason why Leprechaun really hasn't gotten a special release. Because who's... we Because we, when we did that film, we realized, like, this is just not really a good film at all. The only good part about it... That's different, because that at least has Jennifer Aniston in it. Yeah. So, even no matter if it was a bad, a bad film that's enjoyable, which that's debatable on whether or not... Some because Leprechaun, that's kind of, that's an interesting position of like some people know it's so bad that they enjoy it, or like we with us, we just like it's just not a good film. That's different because Jennifer Aniston's in it, and it's her first ever motion picture, right? So that's a, uh, going to have cultural significance own, yeah. because whether you like it or not, Jennifer Aniston's a big name, and if you're at least of our age, because you want to know what this, I don't know if this will surprise you or not. Guys of our age that I talk, you know, talk to. I don't know if you ever had this conversation or not. Guys that I talk to, you know, twenty-five to thirty, hottest oldest older woman, Jennifer Aniston, I by a mile. It. Hear that all the time. Like I could see it. Like if someone mentions Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston of our age, you're like she's fucking hot. And someone's like she's old though. She's like fifty. It's like she's fucking hot. It's true. Yeah. Jennifer true. Aniston still hot. Still, and she's very you know widely recognizable from Friends. And a bunch of other shit. So that's different. There's no one in here that you're like going to be like, you know, like, I got to watch this film because even though it's like a totally shitty film, Bruce Campbell was in it, right? You know, or something like the that. The only, you the know? only thing would be Bill Mosley because he is recognized. He does that, do a lot again, of horror films. But again, that's neat. That's very niche. True. That's it's not like he's he's not he's only recognizable. To very hardcore horror fans, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you like, like a gr- like a grindhouse style, fit, you know. Yeah, a fan. lot of like um, a lot of uh, Rob Zombie 
a lot of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and then you know some of the other films he's done besides those, he might be recognizable. But other than that, yeah, uh, I would say that not many people are gonna rush to Saturday Night Deadly Night three and be like, I gotta watch it because Bill Mosley's in it. It's just not, it's not something that is gonna appeal even to people who are fans of Bill Mosley. They may not really recognize Saturday Night Deadly because really in this film he doesn't do much. He wanders around like a zombie. Uh, it's, sad, it's sad. He's probably the best actor in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. They don't give him anything to do. He's just literally, like I said, he's Frankenstein's monster. He's just wandering around. And he, all he needs is like the stereotypical arms up, you know, like hands. Uh, and yeah. Or and then all he does is mumble, Laura. Mm-hmm. Laura. And that's it. That's all he does. It was probably the easiest paycheck he's ever had. And cheap. And, and it probably was filmed in the span of like two days, maybe. Maybe one day. I want to know why they thought it was necessary to give him that fucking fish, fish tank of a hat. You know, because all their only reason was because they wanted to put that hat on him, so that it looked ridiculous when they put a beanie hat on him. And you could sell, like, you it's see like the fish. There, it's sitting on lopsided. <laughs> and you can see. Yeah. I almost think though that was unintentional though, like the hat because the hat clearly could totally fit over, you know, that fucking. Yeah. Maybe they had to shoot it so many times that it just came off, and they're like, I don't know, just go with it. But I mean, like it's like you didn't need that. You just like they just did it to like make it look like ooh, as you said, Lovecraftian, like ooh, you know. Because again, it's not like that. What they did for his head, the design of like showing like his head, it's not like um. For the time period that it would fit, it's one thing like fucking steampunky, like, you know, something you would see, like, what people in the 1880s thought the future would entail. Yeah. It reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, on Cartoon Network, like, Evil Con Carne with, uh, the show by Maxwell Adams that was a spinoff of, uh, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. No. Nope. And the one evil, uh, I can't remember the, the evil doctor, but he's in a, he's trapped, his brain's trapped in a, like, hooked up to a bear. Uh-huh. And the way his brain is set up into the bear is exactly like that. It's a purple bear, and then he's got his brain encapsulating the globe on top of his head like that. I, he, he very well could have taken that idea, you know, taken that from this film because there's a lot of like niche, like uh, horror references in yeah. Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and Evil Con Carney. Hmm. Mainly, uh, well, it's not horror, but they have a parody of Snake Plissken and uh, Grim Adventures with uh, yeah. Diedrich Bader playing as a Hoss Delgado. It's fucking amazing. You should watch it. You should watch that show. You would love it because it's up right up your alley with all the horror uh, tropes and uh, callbacks. Yeah. Um, should we give this a rating? Do you have anything else that you wanted to say about it before we give it a yeah, rating? Yeah, quick note. Oh, sure. Soundtrack for this film. Yeah. Fucking appalling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, and annoying. It's, it's a very... noodling keyboard soundtrack in the high registers. Yes, <laughs> and it's not like it's. I can. It's. I can tell it's trying to be Christmassy. I guess. Yeah. Well, because like some of like the notes is like trying to come up as like 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 like, like, like be- well not like like Christmas songs but, like kind of like bell like but yeah. it's like shitty like electric keyboard synth. Like I can yeah. see somebody with like a ten dollar like Yamaha guitar sitting there like you know putting this out like and then putting it through like some kind of shitty uh pedal or something yeah to like oh it's just terrible it's terrible and like just you're right 
noodling and meandering just about like throughout like the scenes in the film. It's it is to me distracting. Just like when like like what's going on here? And you're like do 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 do. Yeah, or or like in the beginning, they have just like one really high pitched drone sound. Which is fine if, you know, if it, like, fits what's going on, if it's, like, the right kind of draw. Because, obviously, horror films do have, like, especially in, like, the 70s and 80s, have, like, a lot of droning soundtracks and scores, you know. The kind of, like, kind of, like, have, like, the scene muted, and then you can have, like, you know, the musical cue to kind of, like, raise what's, you know, what's possibly going to happen. But in here, it just sounds so cheap and shitty. It's just tacky. Yeah. I wish the film didn't have a score at all. I wish it was scoreless. It's like, you know, no no music at all. Yeah. It's it's terrible. I think it's how, I, th- I don't know. I mean, surprised you don't really have much more to say about it. Cause I, I, I absolutely think the soundtrack in this film is dreadful. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't very good. I, I didn't really pick out on it very much. Like, it didn't, it didn't stand out to me, but... To you, you were really upset by it. It's it's because it's like a constant throughout yeah, the film. It's it not. Is, yeah. It's not like there's moments of silence. There's constant like doo 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 doo. Yeah, some failed NES composer. <laughs> you know. Yep. All right, let's give this a rating. Um. Oh, we. I do have another thing. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I just because we did mention this. As we both know, the highlight of the original film. Is the warm side of the door. It's true. This film has a very big problem with doors. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Ricky steamrolls through like five different doors <laughs> in Granny's house. Just blast through <laughs> Which, but that would have actually been a great time to use warm side. Like, have a chase scene where he's just bursting through doors and like scaring people on the other side of doors. Set to the This wall. You know what? I want somebody to do that. I want the guy who did inappropriate use of Holiday Road. Do that video. Inappropriate use of uh, warm side, warm of, the side of the door. Would work. I'd like it. Christmas edition. Um, Alright, so out of uh, 10 car cell phones, what would you give <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night 3? Better watch out. I'll give it a 3 out of 10. Okay. It's a bad film. Yeah, it is. Yeah, This is a very bad film, and it's not enjoyable. It's only 90 minutes long, and it feels like it's fucking... You're watching... Once upon a time in the West, <laughs> you're sitting through a three a- three hour plus film. This is bad. It's not enjoyable at all. The story's incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. You can tell they wrote this fucking thing in a week. Yep. That they add plot elements that don't need to be there, are totally unnecessary, aren't even explored or explained. It's overly complicated and convoluted. The acting in this film is atrocious. Everybody in this film, outside of Bill Mosley is wooden, and you can kind of argue he's kind of wooden, but he's supposed to be kind of wooden, because he's a fucking essentially a zombie. Yeah. Um, as I said, the soundtrack's atrocious. There's nothing enjoyable about this film. I didn't have any fun watching this film. None whatsoever. I was getting kind of agitated by the end, by watching this film. Like, this is, like, w- wasting my time. It's like Mako, the killer shark bad indeplorable and ha- like it's like I, I question i question this film's existence yeah no i agree i i don't understand why this was even made 
It's a total waste of my time. It's a total waste of... If you like the first two films, don't bother. You'll bother because you you watched the first two films. And so out of curiosity, you will watch this film. But and then you'll if, wish you didn't. And then, you'll... and then your image of the first two films will be tainted. <laughs> so And you'll uh, say, I should have listened to Blood and Black Rum podcast. Yeah. And if you didn't like the first two films... To just stay away. There's nothing. There's nothing here for anybody. This film has absolutely no merit and no value. I don't give films really a zero or like a one or a two because I think the fact that you made it to celluloid deserves at least a three, and that's what this film gets. I agree. I I don't generally give low ratings, but I I think a three is is pretty much um the best for this film because it doesn't do a lot of good things in it. It's really boring. It has no direction. The director doesn't know when to cut scenes. Um, the whole idea of Ricky coming back and being uh, linked to some psychic doesn't fit with the plot of the other films at all. And it really just feels totally disconnected, though they want to connect it to those other two films. Um, other than that, like I was doing some research here, and you were right. Ricky never does get shot in the head in the other film in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. So for him to actually be brain dead and, and need a brain transplant well, in no, this... Well, no, it makes sense if he was brain dead because if he yeah, got if, shot 12 if, fucking times in the second film, which he, you're right, he does get Peter Wellard in this film. Yeah. You know, I mean, the second film, he does get obliterated at the end. So it makes sense for him to be brain dead because... He's lost so much blood, his organ failure, etc., yeah. that that would happen. But the fact that they add, like, this, like, as you said, love, uh, the only way I can, like, describe, like, Lovecraftian Mary Shelley headgear to him. Yeah. It's, you know, that's, that's, that's like, probably that's why they attack that. You know, it, no, it is a stretch. Like, you don't need that to express that we had to play around with his brain to keep him alive. You can say, we played around with his brain. We did, sti- like, you know, we did certain stimulus and this and that, uh, and we were able to resuscitate him. So he's a vegetable, but he's alive. And we're trying to actually get him out of his coma by awaking, you know, awaking his memories and psychic links, which again, it's fucking terribly explained. Yeah. How are there psychics in this universe? Why are they there? How do they come about? Have they always been part of this? They don't explain the science of how you know, psychics and empaths work in this, you know, universe. It's just, they're nothing. just there. They're just there they now. Just no, they just don't give you nothing. It's just a MacGuffin. Yep. So, yeah, I agree. I think th- a three is a good, good score for this. And it's, it's definitely not recommended. I wouldn't recommend it to watch for your Christmas viewing. Cause it really has very little to do with Christmas. Um, and just move up, just go back to the, uh, the first silent of the night. Cause that's, that's the one that you should watch every single year. All right, so next week, what do we have on tap? Um, I think we said Die Hard 2. I guess. If you're cool with that. I guess. I'd like to do it. We did it, We did Die Hard last year. I kind of want to just do Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, but we'll never, just because we'll never cover a Bond film on this. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. It's not going to happen. I don't expect it to happen. I just kind of, that just came to me. Maybe next year. We'll do it next year. I'll be dead by then. No, you won't. We'll do it next year. I think we'll do Die Hard 2. It matches with our continuation of, of uh, Christmas movies. And it is a Christmas movie, so obviously we wouldn't do Die Hard 3 next year. It's not a Christmas movie. But Die Hard Samuel 2, L. It does. But Die Hard 2 is certainly a Christmas movie. 
Um, so you can catch us next week for Die Hard Two. Um, I can't we- remember. So is that a subtitle? Uh, I don't think it is actually. I I think it is just straight up Die Hard Two. No, I think it's Die Harder, isn't it? Nope. I think Die Hard Three is Die Harder. It's hard to keep track. Of I know, that. I know. If I remember correctly, Die Hard. Oh no, sorry. Die Hard Three is Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard Four isn't isn't a good day to Die Hard. Die Hard Four is Live, live free. free or Die Hard. So it's Die. I think and Die, die hard, hard Five is is a good day. A good die. day to Die Hard. I could have swore Die Hard Two is Die Harder. Maybe unofficially, but I don't see any reference to Die Harder. Yeah. Uh, Oh. Well, it's it and the ta- uh, the tagline. Uh, okay. so, yeah, sometimes referred to as Die Hard Two, Die Harder. Okay, all right. So I'm not retarded. Well, maybe in the show <laughs> in the show we'll we'll sh- we'll cover it as Die Hard Two, Honest- Die Harder. Honestly, when it comes to the Die Hard films, as much as I love Die Hard, the only two I know off the top of my head, like kind of verbatim, Die Hard, Die Hard Two. I don't know Die Hard Two at all. I've never seen Die Hard Two. When you're missing out. Well, I'm going to see it next week. Because the trajectory of the Die Hard films is a... Yeah, it's a total slope. It's about <laughs> the same as as the plane's descent in Die Hard 2, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, Alright, so you can catch us next week for Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcasting app. You can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. You can find us on our website, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at WordPress.com or on Coltsploitation.com uh, as part of the Coltsploitation Podcast Network. And if you're interested, you can join us there. If you're a movie podcast, we'd love to have you on it. Um, also, we have an email, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. Send us any email that you have. If you have any suggestions for the show, um, if you want to see any changes as we hit 100 episodes, if you have any uh, recommendations for films that we should cover on the show, let us know. And then finally, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You can donate to us. Um, if you pledge a dollar, you get your name mentioned on the show, and also you'll get any of our new episodes one day early as we start our bi-weekly schedule in January. So hit that up. Uh, donate. It's a monthly donation. Just keep that in mind. And we appreciate anything that you can give back so that we can keep the show going. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy your Christmas season as we continue on our Festivus series. And we'll see you back next week. Take care.